We want to remind our listeners that this program is for informational and educational purposes only and not intended to substitute for professional veterinary medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The Animal Medical Center does not recommend or endorse any products or services advertised by SiriusXM. Welcome to Ask the Vet with Dr. Ann Hohenhaus. This is the place to talk about your pets and get advice with a top veterinarian from the Animal Medical Center in NYC. Hear from the leading authorities on animals and give us a call to ask your questions. Now, here's your host, Dr. Ann Hohenhaus. Hi, everyone. And thanks for joining me today on Ask the Vet. We've got a great show for you today. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Hohenhaus. I'm a board-certified internist and oncologist at the Schwarzman Animal Medical Center right here in New York City. And we are the world's largest not-for-profit animal hospital. At the Animal Medical Center, we keep families together. And how do we do that? We provide the absolute best care for pets, and we've been doing it for over 110 years. Keep in mind that Ask the Vet is also available as a podcast, thanks to our partnership with Sirius XM Radio. So if your friends don't get Sirius XM Radio, they can like and follow our show just by going to their favorite podcast platform and downloading the Ask the Vet podcast app. It'll keep you up to date on the latest news from the Schwarzman Animal Medical Center and also news about animals. Now, later in the show, I'm going to answer uh, your questions about pet health. So if you have a question about your pet's health, you can call and leave me a voicemail message on our toll-free voicemail line. I'll answer your questions on next month's Ask the Vet program. I'll give the number now, but if you don't have a pen or pencil, you can take down the number, which I'll give again a couple more times during the show. The number to call Asavet's toll-free uh, phone line is 866-993-8267. And don't forget to get a pen and pencil during the break if you didn't copy that down. And now it's time for our trending animal of the month. This month's trending animal is kind of a new version of an old story. If you remember, we've talked about Fiona the hippo, the little preemie hippo that was born in Cincinnati Zoo about five years ago. Well, now Fiona is a big sister to a little brother named Fritz. Fritz was the winning name in a worldwide contest to name the new baby hippo. I don't think any of us will forget Fiona. The Cincinnati Zoo Hippo shot to worldwide fame in 2017 when she was born six weeks premature. Fans kept a close eye on her ever since, and this cheeky little hippo has over 90,000 followers on her website. The new hippo, Fritz, uh, was a little bit of a surprise hippo because uh, Fritz's mother, Bibi, was supposed to be on birth control and wasn't supposed to have any more baby hippos. But all of a sudden, there was Fritz. Fritz was the winning name, but the other name, which I think is not nearly as good as Fritz, was Ferguson. And Fritz won with 56% of people voting for Fritz over Ferguson. And Wendy Rice, uh, the head hippo keeper at the Cincinnati Zoo, said in a news release, we would have been happy with either name, but we really think Fritz fits its spunky little guy's personality. 
Fiona is now five and is a proud big sister. And you can see Fiona and Fritz meeting for the first time by simply Googling Fiona and Fritz, and you'll see a video of the pair of little hippos uh, getting to know each other. Just get out a tissue or two because it's really a tearjerker. So just to change things up a little bit today, I'm going to ask a question, which I'll answer a little bit later in the show. Uh, and my question for you is, what is a group of hippos called? The answer, after we talk with my guest today, who's going to talk about artificial intelligence and x-rays. Today's guest is my colleague at the Schwarzman Animal Medical Center and AMC's newest senior veterinarian, Dr. Unbi Kim. Dr. Kim recently completed her residency in diagnostic imaging. That's like the fancy name for people who do x-rays and ultrasounds and CT scans and MRIs. Um, because just to say they do x-rays is really underestimating what these folks do. Uh, so after completing her residency in diagnostic imaging, she joined the AMC staff. Recently, she's published some very interesting research on artificial intelligence in veterinary medicine, specifically interpretation of x-rays. And I wanted to have her on our show to talk more about this. It feels like everybody talks about artificial intelligence. And so I'm really interested in learning more about this topic. Dr. Kim, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So you recently completed your residency and joined our staff and deserve a big congratulations for that because it's a huge achievement. So can you tell people a little bit how you chose to specialize in diagnostic imaging, which most people would think more about as radiology, um, but I'm not sure when I was thinking about being a veterinarian that I even would have ever even considered that. So how do you, how do you even learn about diagnostic imaging? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that I knew I wanted to be in a specialty that touched on all fields in veterinary medicine and diagnostic imaging or radiology is kind of at the cornerstone of a lot of things we do. It's a huge part of, it's a huge diagnostic uh, necessity. And um, to, to the untrained eye, maybe they just see an x-ray, but to someone that's gone through residency and trained radiologists, they can get a lot of information that maybe people don't see. So I think that being able to extract information from x-rays, from MR is extremely helpful, um, both for the patient and the client. So explain a little bit what you mean that radiology does all species. Yeah, so um, we certainly do have to train in all species. So on the board exam, I had to know things from alpacas to horses to birds and bunnies and all sorts of um, little creatures that we don't necessarily see every day at the AMC. But um, also, I just love that, you know, we, we're involved in every single special, specialty in our hospital, whether it's a dog that ate a corn cob and now we need to take x-rays through emergency or there's a cat that came in for seizures and we need to MR, MRI it to check for a brain tumor. So it's something that is necessary in all of our specialties. So speaking of corn cobs, did you see the accidental MRI of the corn cob a couple weeks ago? 
Yeah, I did. I saw that post. It's just great. There's this <laughs> this dog who was getting an MRI, which I think it had a back problem or something. And then, it, you know, the stomach is close enough to the back that the MRI picked up the fact the dog had a corn cob sitting in his stomach. It's really it's one of the all time best MRIs ever. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's like it's this big zigzag thing in the dog's stomach. You're like, what? is that and and it's a corn cob and for listeners out there please keep the corn cobs away from dogs because dr undy's team spends a lot of time figuring out if your dog ate a corn cob the medicine and surgery team spend a lot of time fishing corn cobs out of animals and it's 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 just it's really hard because they don't show up very well on x-rays yeah yeah, it, it can hide a little bit, but um, yeah, I feel like people think it's kind of a harmless little snack, but they really get stuck in there. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're terrible. Corn cobs are really just absolutely awful. Um, there yesterday, did you see the Ethernet cord? Somebody, some dog ate an Ethernet oh, cord. Yeah, I just saw that this morning. I saw that they were um, retaking the, the, the x-ray to make sure it was still there before taking it out. Via yeah, yeah, they, they fished it out of the dog, but... It, Pets will eat almost anything. Um, so, and, and radiology probably has a great collection of crazy things. What, what's your best x-ray that you have saved? Um, we've seen a lot of AirPods recently. That's kind of a 21st century foreign body, probably. Air tags. I love when we find money in there and I can actually count. I can tell what type of coin it is and I can count the number of cents in this patient's stomach. Um, all sorts of clothes, underwear, socks, you name it. Yeah, I had an x-ray that you could see Lincoln's head. You knew it was a penny because it, the x-ray was good enough that Lincoln's head kind of stood out, you know, and you knew it wasn't a quarter because it didn't have that ridgy edge yeah, on, the, on the coin. So keep your houses picked up, people, because um, we, we, we would rather not have to fish things out of your pets. Um, okay, back to radiology. Um, some people think that radiologists spend all day sitting in the dark wearing bunny slippers. Um, is that really what you do? Um, I definitely don't wear bunny slippers, but, um, I certainly sit in a dark room looking at images most of the time, um, unless we're, you know, actively involved in obtaining the x-ray or scanning for the ultrasound or, um, involved with, um, tissue sampling, fine needle aspirates or biopsying patients. But the majority of our time, yes, is spent sitting at a chair, uh, sitting at a desk and looking at the images and trying to figure out what we're looking at so that we can relay to our, our staff doctors who have signed up the imaging, what the problem is, what next steps there are, things like that. So why sit in the dark? <laughs> um, well, we have- Your eyes to... don't work when it's light outside? I mean, they certainly do, but all of our images are a shade of gray for, you know, black and white. And we, our human eye can only see so many shades of gray. So we try to help that out by creating the best environment possible, which is a dark room. Um, so let's shift a little bit and talk about your resident project, um, which was published in the Journal of Veterinary Radiology, which interesting, it's that journal was named a long time ago. So it's still veterinary radiology and ultrasound, although you do a whole lot more than that. Um, so talk about the artificial intelligence project. Sure. So um, 
our project uh, that we did, uh, it was comparing a specific artificial intelligence uh, company's ability to diagnose um, left-sided congestive heart failure in dogs compared to uh, a board-certified radiologist. Okay, so you have to translate a little bit. What should the pet owner with left-sided congestive heart failure be? So um, left-sided congestive heart failure is basically when uh, there's a valve in your heart and there, you know, the most, it's the most common disease uh, that we see in our canine patients. It's called de degenerative mitral valve disease. I'm sure people listening with a small dog probably have heard about it. If your dog, if your small dog is a little bit older and has a heart murmur, it likely has degenerative mitral valve disease. And basically the valve uh, it gets a little leaky because it's, uh, it's just getting a little older, a little bit, you know, a little bit um, thickened. And so instead of being able to completely push all the blood through the heart in one direction, um, when it pumps, some of it leaks backwards. And as it leaks backwards, the fluid goes into the lung, causing congestive heart failure. And that, that fluid in the lung can be seen, that, that can be detected on an x-ray. And so these are dogs that come into the ER for coughing and breathing fast. And then ER signs up a chest X-ray. And then you ask, you and your artificial intelligence system said, who's better, um, me or the computer, at figuring out if these dogs have um, pulmonary edema or fluid on the lungs from congestive heart failure? Yeah. And maybe not who's better, but are they as good as board certified radiologists? Because we never compared to another gold standard, which might have been, oh, does the dog, did the dog get an echo to uh, to confirm that there was degenerative mitral valve disease or supportive signs? Or did the dog also have another x-ray following therapy to see if the fluid in the lungs went away? But really to see, okay, this is what the board certified radiologist thought. Does the AI uh, software agree or do they think it's something else? And how good did it do? Honestly, it did really well. So I would, uh, out of our study, we were able to say that uh, the AI was, uh, the AI agreed with the board certified radiologist in nine out of 10 cases of congestive heart failure in our dogs. And, and so, so at, in the, your first comment about um, AI, you said we used a particular company's artificial intelligence system. Tell, tell their listeners why you made that specific comment, because that was not an accidental choice. Of no. Work. Yeah. So at this point, there are certainly a number of different AI companies out there, both in human medicine and in veterinary medicine. Um, the one that we chose, we have no, you know, we have no financial connection to, um, we, we just know that the way that they've trained, they really strive to train their AI algorithm with best, best practices, gold standards. So we knew that uh, they wanted to work with us in a specific disease, whereas maybe other companies um, might approach it in kind of an all, you know, all in one method where they try to just see what the AI system can do in an one x-ray, find all the problems that are possible. So we did like that the way that it was trained um, and we liked that it was a commercially available uh, software that was out there that was being used because none of our cases in our research was, they were flagged 
as research. So this just went straight through the, uh, the AI and the AI had no idea that it was part of a study and just thought of it as another patient. So what, why does, why would this even matter? But we have nice radiologists like you and the rest of the radiology team to look at our x-rays. So why does, why was this an important study to conduct? So in our study, we actually were very narrow about our parameters, and we looked at a specific population um, after, uh, between the times of 6 p.m. and 8 a.m. So we made it very specific because during those times, most people have gone home, um, and really, you only have an ER doctor that's looking at the x-rays. And yes, x you can see the fluid in the lungs from heart failure um, if it's obvious, but many times it can be very, very difficult or very subtle. Um, so we wanted to know, you know, in the absence of a board-certified radiologist, or if there are people working out in the field who don't have access to a, a radiology service, could this AI system actually be helpful? Could it say, hey, you know what? This is actually very concerning. Maybe you should treat uh, for the heart failure and then recheck um, instead of just saying, okay, I think we're safe. We don't have to do anything here. And and, and that's really the key is, is hoping that we can use this um, AI to help more animals um, who don't have access to a radiologist in the middle of the night. Uh, and, and that's, that's helpful, not just to animals here at AMC, but potentially helpful elsewhere. Um, so, so if I was a Joe neighborhood veterinarian, could I buy this or how, how would I use this um, piece of yeah, it's so not really equipment. I, it's it's like a box somewhere. I think it depends on the, the company. I know that the company that we use, um, basically, it's just a service where it's all, you know, cloud based and you send you submit your study electronically. It goes through the AI and pretty much within minutes, you'll have a response back. So it could be used by someone because this is currently commercially available. Correct. Um, so that sounds like good things about AI, but, but are there any limits to what AI can do? Yeah, certainly. I'm sure, you know, there's limits to everything, but I think that, first of all, I think it's important to know that AI is still in its infancy in veterinary medicine. You know, there's only a handful of papers uh, and research that have looked into the possibility of AI. We've only really dipped our toe into this AI pool so far. Compared to in human medicine, you know, there's tons of studies out there and even there in within the studies they have thousands and thousands of uh, of patients that are participating in these studies so i think that's first of all very important to know that you know we are kind of at the forefront of it in the veterinary medicine um so at this point we're really just proving is it even possible in our field um, another limitation is that in human medicine, um, they have the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, that will approve these specific AI systems. And they'll say, okay, is this AI software claims that it, it can see abnormalities in breast tissue on mammograms, like, and approve it so that it can actually be used by, by radiologists. We personally, as veterinarians, we don't have an overseeing body. So that, that I think is kind of a limitation because we're not sure if, which company to trust and which company to choose. None of them are being vetted at this point. So to me, it's hard to really um, 
kind of back a company or support a company because we don't have the full um, governing body that really approves what's going on. So do you think AI is going to be widely accept, you know, widely adopted for radiographs in the U.S.? I think in human medicine, we are certainly approaching uh, the, the point where AI will be is and will be used. I think that we're still trying to fine tune the exact role of AI because, you know, for a long time, people were afraid, is AI going to replace us? Is AI going to replace the radiologist? And I think that the conversation is now more, how can we use it so that we can actually truly revolutionize the industry? Um, As far as veterinary medicine, I think that there are certainly many different ways that it can be applied um, and utilized to really help us in our efficiency and accuracy. Um, You know, as at AMC alone, we've seen uh, a a huge increase in caseload. So that means that, you know, our our clinicians have longer wait times uh, for turnaround times to receive reports um, or, uh, you know, we're having to go through many more images for certain studies. And maybe in the future, you know, AI could help say, hey, you know, this abnormality is a little bit weird and we need a board certified radiologist eyes to actually look at it, to assess it, to to determine in the scheme of the whole clinical case, is it important or not? So do you think um, that you've got another project that you're going to do related to this? Um, you know what? I think that there are certainly uh, many different options, not not even related to my project. You know, there could be many other diseases or species or uh, modalities even, you know, not just x-ray, can we apply it to ultrasound or, you know, in other in other services, can we apply it to clinical pathology? Can we apply it, can AI detect whether something is cancer or not in the cells that we pull from, from our patients? Uh, I certainly think there's a lot of research to be done in the field. I actually think that that there's a smidge of AI going on because there is um, a clinical pathology box, a piece of equipment that will look at a urine sample uh, sediment, not not just, you know, does it have sugar in it or or does it have um, a pH of seven, but it'll actually look at at the cells and things that are in the urine and automatically scan um, a sediment uh, of a urine. So, and, and tell you what it is. So I think there, there are some now, I don't think that's a high precision machine, but I think it's the beginnings of exactly what you're talking about at this point, that this um, AI is going to change some of the things we do and, and maybe free up veterinarians to provide more um, actual patient care and thinking about patients rather than um, doing tasks like looking at x-rays or looking at a microscope slide. Uh, so yeah. what, what's, what's your final takeaway from this whole AI situation? <laughs> um, well, I guess I can leave you with a quote. Um, so there's a radiologist from Stanford who says that radiologists who use AI will replace radiologists who don't. So to me, I think it's something that we as veterinary veterinarians and veterinary radiologists should embrace uh, 
and really take on the res responsibility to figure out a the best way to use it that's best for our clients, our patients, and for us. I think that is a terrific quote to end on. Uh, I want to thank Dr. Unbi Kim, AMC's newest senior veterinarian uh, and radiologist, author of, uh, why don't you give us the title of your, your paper? Sure. Uh, the title is Comparison of Artificial Intelligence to the Veterinary Radiologist Diagnosis of Canine Cardiogenic Pulmonary Edema. And so uh, it is a great paper. I've read it myself. And um, I just want all of you to know that someday there'll be some sort of artificial intelligence that might be reading your pet's x-rays too. Thanks for joining us today. And before we uh, go on a break, I want to do a couple of things. First, I'd like to answer my own question. What is a group of hippos called? A group of hippos is called a hippo bloat, B-L-O-A-T. I don't, can't imagine where that came from. Don't forget, if you have a question about your pet's health, call and leave us a message on our toll-free voicemail, and I'll answer your pet health questions on next month's Ask the Vet. The number is 866-993-8267. Are you ready for this month's animal news? We've got a bunch of great stories today. First of all, Police caught a wild turkey breaking and entering in Wisconsin. That's right. Police body cameras caught a wild turkey after it broke into a vacant apartment. Somehow the turkey climbed through a second story window. A local officer kindly went in and rescued the turkey, who then was, of course, trapped in this apartment because turkeys can't open doors and brought her back outside safely. Happy ending to this gobble gobble story. This story is a pretty amazing one. Our second story is about endangered sea turtles. There's a group of endangered sea turtles found on a Louisiana island for the first time in 75 years. These are Kemp's Ridley sea turtles. They're the world's smallest sea turtle species, and they were discovered on Chandelure Island off the coast of New Orleans. Wildlife experts documented more than 53 turtle crawls and two live hatchlings navigating towards the sea. This is huge news for environmentalists who had feared the end of this endangered species. This particular area near New Orleans was hit badly by the BP oil spill and by hurricanes in recent years. But Louisiana is hoping that their efforts are paying off in restoring more animal wildlife habitats. So good news about the Ridley's sea turtles. Our third story is a dog story. There, was there were reports of unidentified illnesses killing dogs in Michigan. And at that, the initial reports, veterinarians weren't really sure what it was. Um, but the dogs who were infected were under two years of age and were suffering from vomiting and diarrhea. Well, turns out the disease isn't so mysterious at all. The disease is canine parvovirus, and that's a disease that's been around since the mid-1970s and affects dogs who are not vaccinated against parvovirus. What is mysterious about this situation in Michigan is that the clinic tests that veterinarians like our emergency room at the Schwarzman Animal Medical Center rely on for rapid diagnosis doesn't seem to be picking up these cases in Michigan. 
And Michigan officials are working hard to try and determine why this test is not working in the dogs there, because it hampers our ability to diagnose and then correctly treat these dogs when they develop parvovirus. This outbreak in Michigan was really big. Uh, there were over 20 dogs in Otsego County, uh, Michigan, that died from parvovirus, some within a few days of developing typical parvovirus symptoms of vomiting, diarrhea, and bloody stool. What's most important about this story is that dog owners should keep in mind that parvovirus is a preventable disease and simply preventable with vaccination. The catch is that a dog, a puppy needs its final booster after the age of 16 weeks of age, and then again a year later, and probably then every three years after that. Most of the dogs affected had been inadequately vaccinated, according to Michigan State veterinary health officials. So please, everyone, check your vaccination records with your veterinarian and be sure that your dog is vaccinated so that it couldn't uh, end up getting this terrible disease. And our final story today is information from a new study about dogs and doggy dementia. So dogs, like people as they age, um, develop uh, cognitive dysfunction. That's what we call it in dogs because dementia is a very specific human diagnosis. And dogs that um, reach 10 years of age, their risk increases 50% each year of developing dementia. University of Washington scientists found that dogs with dementia can experience learning and memory challenges, loss of spatial awareness, meaning they get stuck in corners and don't realize they're in a corner, and altered interactions with their family and other dogs. They also have disrupted sleep patterns, and these dogs often pace around at night and sleep all day. So if you're a dog owner, you should be on the lookout for these kinds of signs as your dog ages. Both mental activity, like engaging with your pet and doing things with them, as well as exercise are important for your dog's mental well-being and may also reduce your dog's risk of developing canine cognitive dysfunction. Uh, this recent research paper shows that inactive dogs were six and a half times more likely to be diagnosed with cognitive dysfunction, according to the study. So that means everybody should be out with their dogs walking and hiking and throwing the ball in order to keep them both physically and mentally fit. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about the place that I work, the Schwarzman Animal Medical Center. We started as a temporary clinic 112 years ago to provide veterinary care to animals whose owners couldn't afford it. Today, AMC continues to give back to the community. In 2021, the Schwarzman Animal Medical Center donated nearly $5 million in veterinary care through our 13 charitable funds, which help pets in need. AMC's 120 plus veterinarians and 43 board certified specialists work together over 20 specialties and service to manage nearly 60,000 individual patient visits each year. Simply stated, about 160 pets come through AMC's doors every day. Now, don't forget, 
if you have a pet health question, just call and leave me a message. It's that simple. And I'll answer your questions on next month's Ask the Vet. The number to call is 866-993-8267. And don't forget to check us out on social media. Facebook, it's The Animal Medical Center. And Instagram and Twitter, it's AMCNY. And now it's time to go to calls from our listeners. Our first call today comes from Diana in L.A. Hi, my name is Christina Hernandez, and I'm from uh, Belleville, Illinois. And I was just calling with a question about my uh, puppy's nausea. She gets severely car sick um, within the first two, three minutes of being in the car. And I didn't know if you had any recommendations to help um, ease her nausea and her Thank you. Bye-bye. Oops. So that wasn't Diana from LA, but that was Christina from Illinois. However, I had Christina from Illinois. I hope you're listening because you are going to be so happy with what I have to say. Uh, first of all, um, most puppies outgrow car sickness. So there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I don't understand why puppies are, are so car sick and then dogs seem to be fine. The second thing is there's something you can do now. Uh, there is a medication uh, called Meropitant. Uh, all its brand name is called Serenia and is specifically made for puppies with car sickness. So uh, you give a pill or a portion of a pill or two pills, depending on the size of your puppy. And you give that puppy the um, Serenia about an hour before the car ride and the puppy feels much, much better um, because the medication is really effective and it helps stop all that drooling and foam that gets all over the car seats and, and the doors and the windows and everything. And so that's this puppy is going to be so happy when it gets to go on a car ride and doesn't want to throw up. And Christina from Illinois is going to be so happy because she's not going to have to clean up dog throw up in the car. So Christina, there's, there's something you can do. You need to go see your veterinarian because this medicine is available only by prescription, but I can't imagine there's any veterinarian that doesn't have this really great drug. Uh, thanks for the call. And Christina, I'm sure you've helped other people make their puppies better too. Uh, now, um, I think we're going to have Diana from LA. Hi, this is Diana from Los Angeles calling about my golden doodle age seven years old for at the vet and the dog uh, only at night starts to pant and appears to be anxious and I wanted to know if in fact that is a possible diagnosis like almost what senior citizens get with when they're um, older uh, when they have issues with nighttime so anyway just wanted to know if there's something to be done for that dog is seven years old in perfect health other than that. Thanks. So Diana, it, your, your question is perfectly timed with one of our news stories for today, which suggests that yes, in fact, dogs do get cognitive dysfunction or kind of the dog version of senior citizens, dementia issues. And you're right. Uh, nighttime wakefulness is something that might indicate cognitive dysfunction. The, the challenge for me is that um, the 
a seven-year-old dog seems kind of young to be developing cognitive dysfunction. I think it's possible, but I think there are other things to think about. So keep in mind that dogs pant because they are too hot. Um, So is your dog too hot at night? Um, There are things you can do like a cooling blanket um, that, you know, draws the heat away from your dog. They make cooling mattresses for people, same same kind of concept. So do we, you need to cool your dog off or have a fan on so the dog can lay in front of it. Uh, dogs will also pant if they're painful. So a seven-year-old golden doodle, I'm going to assume is a large breed dog and seven years old is not too old, too young to be developing uh, signs of arthritis. So I think it's possible that you have a dog who's painful at night and is panting because it's uncomfortable. So um, that is my next, my second suggestion. And my third uh, suggestion is that some dogs are anxious at night, um, maybe because of cognitive dysfunction, or maybe something else is going on um, in the household or in the neighborhood at night that's that's got the dog worked up. So I think that right now, um, a trip to the veterinarian would be a really good idea to have the golden doodle evaluated for things that cause panting, like the dog is too hot, um, the dog is anxious, or the dog is painful in some way. And a good workup by your veterinarian should help to identify why your golden doodle is panting at night. But I think there's probably something wrong. Uh, Hope this is helpful. And Diana, call back and let us know how the doodle is doing. And our final caller today is Felix the cat. Hello. I have a cat, Felix, about 10 years old, and occasionally he gets down on the floor, close to the floor, and he does this loud hacking cough. It'll happen like four or five times, then he quits. But we pat him on the back, and the vet says she doesn't know what it is, his lungs seem good, but he's a indoor-outdoor cat, so I'm sure he eats wild mice and things like that. So uh, Felix the cat's owner is right to worry that Felix's time outdoors might be the cause of his cough. Um, Cats that eat mice are at risk for a disease called toxoplasmosis, uh, which is carried by mice. And then when the cat eats the mouse, we have um, disease in the lungs. So toxoplasmosis is one possible thing. Cats that live outdoors are at risk for heartworm disease. And most of us think about heartworm disease in dogs, but cats are at risk, especially those that go outdoors. So that um, heartworm disease will cause coughing in cats. And so will a parasite called lungworms. Um, Lungworms invade into the lungs and cause coughing. There are also other causes of coughing in cats like asthma, uh, pneumonia, and depending on where in the country Felix the cat lives, uh, there are fungal infections in the lungs that can cause coughing. So if Felix the cat was my patient, I would start by getting a chest x-ray on Felix the cat and see if I could see something there, because it sure sounds like the problem in Felix is in Felix's lungs. And it might also take some additional testing of a fecal sample um, to identify things like uh, parasitic infections or a blood sample to identify 
uh, heartworms uh, circulating in Felix's bloodstream. So I hope that Felix's cat's owner has a good veterinarian who's willing to work with this list of possibilities, but I think there's definitely something wrong with Felix. So when we come back from our second break, we're going to talk about the news from the Animal Medical Center. And don't forget, if you want your questions answered on next month's show, the number to call our toll-free voicemail is 866-993-8267. For pet parents everywhere, if you're looking for the most accurate, trustworthy pet health information, look no further than AMC's USDAN Institute for Animal Health Education. The USDAN Institute's free pet health library is the leading online user-friendly platform with all its content verified by the veterinary experts at the Schwarzman Animal Medical Center. Every month, the USDAN Institute also presents free virtual pet health events and publishes a weekly newsletter packed with timely pet health information. Pet parents can stream all prior USDAN pet health events, as well as AMC's Animal Lovers Book Club videos, and they live on AMC's website. To view any of these events, you only need to go to www.amcny.org backslash USDAN events. Registration for all the USDAN events is free, but of course it's required because we can't send you the Zoom link if we don't have your registration and email. To find out more about the USDAN events, visit AMC's uh, webpage, which is amcny.org, and you can just put events in the search bar. I want to thank Dr. Unbi Kim for such an interesting conversation about artificial intelligence in veterinary medicine. And as always, thanks to all my listeners and callers and to everyone who's downloaded the Ask the Vet podcast. We appreciate your support. If you haven't downloaded the podcast yet, you only need to go to any podcast platform and search for Ask the Vet podcast and you can listen too. Don't forget, if you have a question about your pet's health, just call and leave me a message. Our toll-free number is 866-993-8267. And just a heads up, our next month's guest will be Dr. Lisa Weath. She is a board-certified veterinary nutritionist. So call and leave some pet diet and food-related questions, and I'll see if I can get her to answer those questions for us. We hope you'll check us out on social media. Remember, on Facebook, it's the Animal Medical Center. On Twitter, it's AMCNY. And Instagram, AMCNY. Be sure to like and subscribe where you listen to your podcast to get the new episodes of Ask the Vet. And I'll be back here next month on Ask the Vet here on Sirius Stars Channel 109. Have a great month, everyone, and thanks so much for listening.